You haven't heard that opening music for the Dogger and Muddy Music Show before, have you? Well, a few weeks ago, my co-host on the show, Muddy, the Chocolate Lab Rescue, <laughs> suggested that we add music that better suits our show's outlaw country and blues focus. In turn, I felt that we needed to add a female touch to the show. So we brought in a new narrator as well. You will hear her introduction to the heart of the show in just a bit. Her name is Amy Curnow. She and her husband, Mark, are the Charming Gardeners, a great musical team that performs all around Dallas-Fort Worth. In addition, they run Zounds Sounds School of Music, where they help young and budding artists to improve both their vocal and musical instrument skills. Please check out Amy and Mark on their Charming Gardeners and Zounds Sounds Facebook pages. Amy, thank you so much for joining the team. The answer is yes. Yes, the Dogger and Muddy Music, i.e. Damn Show, took a little bit of a break since our last published show. The move to our new house and the ensuing projects consumed us more than I expected. We are now back and are focused on delivering you a damn show on a weekly basis. They will be released on Thursdays. At the same time, we have a serious backlog of musical artists and industry players lined up to be interviewed. So keep your eyes and ears open for listening to bonus shows that will be published on Tuesdays from time to time. Today's guest is Dustin Blocker, the creative officer for Hand-Drawn Records and Hand-Drawn Pressing in Addison, Texas, a suburb just north of Dallas. Dustin is a musician that jumped headfirst into one of the fastest-growing segments of the music industry, the manufacturing of vinyl records. We will talk about the mind-blowing production growth of vinyl records and where that production will be in just a few years. With that said, Hand-Drawn Records is well-positioned. Their success is building fast, thanks to three key objectives in their game plan. That includes leveraging, one, very new manufacturing tools and technology, two, a strong business network that has expanded into Nashville, and three, great connections into the North Texas music community, which is enabling them to develop and promote local talent under the hand-drawn records rooftop. This is one heck of a success story that is strengthening the image and capabilities of North Texas in the eyes of the music industry as a whole. Heck, I'm ready to talk with Dustin. Let's get this show on the road. Amy, let's kick off the damn show. This is the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people behind the scenes. Are you listening? All right. Dallas has always played a role in uh, the distribution of music. Starting back in the 1930s, Warner Brothers, Vocalion, Brunswick, American Record Company, DECA, and others had distribution centers here. Some were located, interestingly enough, at 508 Park in downtown Dallas, just east of City Hall. Some of you will remember that uh, in the first show of the Dogger and Muddy Music Show, we, uh, we interviewed with Pat Bywaters, who was the director and manager for uh, 508 Park, uh, the, the uh, new building that they're doing there, all the renovation, and et cetera. It's just fascinating. Since then, Dallas's role in the manufacturing and distribution of records has grown up. It's gone down, but it's but it's always been there. Um, there's a there is a company in Addison, Texas, a suburb connected to the north side of Dallas, that is playing a role in cre- in increasing Dallas's play in the record business. That is hand drawn records. I'm here with Dustin Blocker, Chief Creative Officer. He's sitting in for our faithful companion, my Chocolate Lab Muddy, and uh, so let's get started. 
Uh, Dustin, you yourself are a musical artist. You were a member of the band Exit 380. But back in 2009, you decided to make a career change. You looked into the manufacturing of vinyl records. Why? Yeah, so uh, it actually started um, a few years after that. So 20, uh, 2011 is when I started a uh, record label, and that's what Hand Drawn Records is today. Um, and really always in the back of the mind, it was always about community and how do we build community locally and how do we build it with all the kind of artists touring in and out. Um, and that was something that I always really liked as a musician and I always wished there was a little bit more of. Um, so really hand-drawn pressing or the vinyl side of it um, kind of was an outbirth of uh, community. So the label started up. We were doing uh, you know pretty well for a few years. I took on a new business partner and he said, how do we make this into you know, a real business? Um, you can actually feed the kids, all that kind of good stuff, and your wife's not super mad at you all the time. And uh, so we got it. I said vinyl's going to be the next uh, step or the next evolution. Um, and so I was always kind of on this path to find out how to manufacture. Uh, but in 2014, uh, the end of 2014, uh, Alex Cushing and I became business partners, and we said, okay, let's get into vinyl. But the only way to get in at the time was being brokers, meaning we were using other manufacturing plants. Right, right. Yep. So, I, I read a stat. Uh, Ten years ago, a million vinyl records were, were sold in a year. Uh, this year, the number will be around 40 million units, I believe, something like that. So, I would assume that played a role in your analysis as to um, taking this step, right? Yeah. So, uh, about 10 years ago, it started creeping up a little bit. But about five years ago, it started getting interesting, me and the global sales of vinyl. Um, so when you're looking at, uh, those numbers, you know, they can be elusive because essentially you still have crate digging, which is a big part of it, resale. Um, so those are new titles only. And that's what, of course, what we do, we're manufacturing, we're manufacturing new titles. Uh, but the re, the reissue market, the soundtrack market, all those things are, are, are growing exponentially. Um, so if you really look at the numbers, 2015, um, globally, about $500 million in sales uh, for vinyl records exclusively within music. Um, this year, it's going to be about a billion. And they think in a couple of years, wow. it's going to be uh, about $3 billion. So it's never going to be a massive like CDs were, where it just takes over. But what's going to happen, um, you're going to just see CDs are dying about 20% every year. Right. Vinyl's growing up, sometimes up to 50%, usually about 35 to 50% every year, year over year. Um, so what you'll see rather quickly, um, you're going to see an extinction of the format known as CD. Um, and you're going to see streaming, and you're going to have vinyl. So vinyl is actually outselling digital downloads. Really? Which is unbelievable. So it's really streaming has taken over. People aren't downloading as much. Uh, when you need something tangible and physical, CD doesn't hold the value uh, that it once did. Uh, people don't want it super easy and fast. They want to kind of work for it. And that's what vinyl is. What we hear is vinyl. And it kind of signifies that for them. But the manufacturing has changed. And, and you guys jumped into that big time. Step back like five years ago as to as to uh, how many like manufacturers if you can if you remember the exact sure. stats but how many manufacturers are out there what what those presses look like and then take us into your decision process sure sure so uh, just a few years ago as the demand was growing um, it was started becoming a mad scramble there was there was about twenty or so global players at the time most of them really small kind of mom and pop operations. A couple of big players that kind of had hung on uh, during the downturn of the vinyl record. 
Um, and then about five years ago when they saw it was becoming a real thing, uh, you started seeing all the old presses that were warehoused or in somebody's garage or whatever had happened being uh, purchased up. Um, and so all these independent pressers started coming online. But until this last year when we installed the first new record press um, in 35 years, they were all presses from 60s, 70s, and a couple from the early 80s. So the last new um, automatic record press was made in 1981 uh, before the one that we have here in Addison, which is kind of crazy to think about. But the format yeah. died. The format died in the early 90s. So like 90, 91, there was, it was zero. Zero percent of sales were vinyl records. So it made sense that it kind of died. The CD completely took it out. Um, And then, of course, you have portability versus quality. So CD was portable and it had high quality. When iTunes and all that came to bear, 2004, 2005, it started fracturing it. But you didn't have enough users to really take on that new technology. You didn't have a lot of cell phones and all that in the market at the time. True. Just iPods. They had to make iPods just for you to get them. Um, so as that exploded technology-wise, it's actually done the, the the reverse that nobody could have thought about, which has made records actually become more valuable and go up the other way. Because again, people want to they want to have at the end of it. There's so much streaming past you, you're not actually owning anything as a music right. uh, fan, right? So how do you support your favorite band? You go buy their T-shirt or go buy their koozie, uh, but how do you support their music? You can download it uh, or stream it. And on streaming, they're getting, you know, not even a penny. They're getting a tenth of a penny or less. Uh, so you're not really supporting in an active way. And at the end, you want you have that human connection, especially at live events. Um, and you, you want to walk away with something. So the, the vinyl records started becoming that. And, and it's just grown in a, in a crazy way. So we do a lot of work with independents, um, small guys that are only making, you know, sometimes 300, 500 records. But it's allowing them to go from city to city. And uh, we just find that's just a great, a great thing for, for us to just like, wow, this, this is something that we're doing, but it's enabling all these other people to have some, you know, careers that are more sustainable. Right. It was a real, it was a real treat, by the way. D- Dustin took me for a tour in the back. Um, the old machines, the old pressing machines uh, that are still around and producing, I mean, the recycle rate you told me on that was just mind boggling. Yeah, so um, the old presses, what we hear, and it's all anecdotal stuff, but sometimes between 30 and 50% of every run is having to be recycled uh. due to warping primarily. Um, so what happens in the record pressing process, it's, uh, it's the oldest format for, for taking in the medium, of course, but it's compression molding. So what that means is the grooves that you have on those records are actually molded into hot plastic, and the plastic's PVC, polyvinyl chloride. So right. PVC is the pipes that are in the ground. That's really hard, right? But a record is specifically formulated. The record PVC um, has waxes and all these different thin- compounds inside of the PVC that allow it to not sound loud and not have all these harsh sounds to it. So it's a very pres- specific PVC, first of all. Um, so that plays a big role. How clean is your PVC? How clean is your grind? Um, and the manufacturer making the PVC, that can make a lot of sound problems. Secondly, uh, on the old presses specifically, um, you had huge swings in temperatures. So it's steam, it's compression, meaning it's squeezed, right? Right. And then it's it's steam and cold water going through the molds that the stampers or the, the what's being pressed onto the record, the grooves are on, um, having to come in a very specific temperature at a very specific, a specific amount of time to make a clean sounding flat record. Um, so really, it's uh, kind of the difference between an old car and new car. 
right? So an old car, they still can be running down the road. You might see a 1950s car running down the road that somebody really took good care of. You might see a really old beater running down the road that somebody didn't take good care of, but it can still run. So a lot of the old presses were beat up and are still beat up. Um, and they're running, you know, 20, 30 years past when they should have been running. And they're running for more hours because the demand is so high. Um, so it's just a kind of a recipe for bad things to happen. That being said, there's a lot of really good manufacturers using really old presses because they just create crazy on the maintenance cycle. Um, oh, wow. What we decided to do, of course, was to buy new. Um, so we bought new and every ancillary piece of equipment that runs it, the steam, the boiler, right, the chiller, um, and all the, the water equipment that goes with the presses is really high-end, top-of-the-line stuff. I think so you said there's at least four computers in there working together? Yeah, there's four computers per press. Um, our two presses are, are outputting about what eight of the old the old ones from the 1960s would be able to do. So just the efficiencies and the amount of uh, recycle is just, uh, it's just a huge win for us as a small business. Yeah, you're, you're, I think you read said you're running uh, three shifts, yep, eighteen hours, and and how many how many vinyls are you are you cutting a day? We're typically about three thousand a day, wow. if it's all black, and then we're not doing a lot of color changes and all that crazy stuff. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean that's awesome, and and you mentioned uh, regionally, you're you're you also said you're well connected uh, building contacts with Nashville. So uh-huh. yeah. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. So Hand Drawn Records is a label, um, and it kind of bends the way that I like musically, right? So uh, so I'm the creative director, but I'm also the founder of both the you know, Hand Drawn Records and Hand Drawn Pressing. And I like a certain style of music, and it's amazing. Most of the jobs we do uh, somehow go with the style that I like, which is kind of odd. But, uh, you know, alt Americana, alt country, country, rock, uh, psych rock. Um, so we get a lot of work out of Texas and then uh, regionally. Uh, yeah, of course, we get a lot out of Nashville. A lot of it makes sense because shipping records is heavy and it's expensive. Um, so regionally, it's us and there's a plant in Nashville. The largest plant in the U.S. actually is in Nashville. Um, and so essentially, it's, it's us in the whole Southwest. So there's nobody going all the way till California. Um, and then the next pressing after Nashville would be Florida, then all the way up the East Coast to New York would be the next guys. And there's a couple in the Midwest. So just not, not, a, not a lot of us out there. Um, and it's not just because the machines are old. It takes, even though the presses are brand new, um, our technicians are just highly skilled. It's a lot of craftsmanship level stuff that has to happen to make a good record. And having that high in quality is um, something we're super dedicated to. Uh, we know it costs a lot to the end consumer and it costs a lot to the musicians. Uh, to make vinyl, it's a, it's just a big it's a big expense, um, and we're trusted with that to give them something great. Um, so that's something we just take very seriously. How do you think the labels view you right now? Uh, we have great relationships. Yeah, it's been amazing, um, and even all the other vinyl manufacturers are really you know, kind of opened up their arms, and we go see them regularly. They come see us, um, trade trade ideas, trade recipes, right? Um, so. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think music, you know, you might watch TV shows from an outsider of if you're a music fan and think that the music industry is this big cutthroat kind of crazy thing. It's really, I've never seen that side of it. I've always kind of seen the brotherhood side of it or the community side of it. Um, and I think if you treat people with that openness, um, you're not trying to hide your secrets. You just say, hey, more the better. The better, the more people that have this knowledge, the better things are going to be for all of us. Right. Whether it's manufacturing or studio work or engineers, right? Um, musicians. Um, and so that's kind of the, what we've always taken to the forefront uh, and just say, hey, let's be open and honest and clear, clear headed and clear eyed about everything we do. 
And uh, it's really, you know, garnered us a lot of great relationships, and, and we try our best to, to, to foster them daily. Being a musician uh, yourself, uh, is, there, is there tone improvement with this new, with this new uh, pr- process? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. It's always ears of the beholder kind of stuff right. with music in general. But uh, if you just looked at it analytically, um, it's pretty easy to see on paper. Um, so what you have is you have frequency ranges within right. uh, any, well, any d- digital or analog. Um, and then you can compress that range. So uh, vinyl just allows you to have the largest frequency range. So about 96 kilohertz and 24-bit is what we say if you're going to give us a digital mastered file and uncompressed as possible. That just allows a cutting engineer, which um, if you hear about master mastering, Way, the reason they were called, that was a master technician standing at a record lathe, cutting in real time, cutting these grooves. So if you look at a WAV file on a computer, a digital picture of what a WAV file looks like, and you looked under a microscope at a record groove, it's very similar. So the highs are the top, the lows are at the bottom, the mids are in the middle, and your needle is literally traveling down, up, down, up, down, up, down, high, low, mid. And that's oh, it's what, up, it's up, down. It's not sideways. Right, I, always, but, I always kind of assumed it was sideways. Well, I mean, sideways, it's running sideways. But I'm saying, yeah. if you looked at it, if you're looking at a computer screen, you imagine the needle of a record going down, the tone arm, and it's going down. Yeah. You would actually be bouncing off the top and bottom, and that vibration is what causes sound to happen. So it's an analog signal at the end of the day. Right. So an, a record is an analog piece of it's an analog medium. Um, electricity's analog. So when it comes out of your speakers, if you're doing it the right way, it's, a, it's just going analog to analog. If you record the tape and then you get it cut and then you go on to make a vinyl record, it's the purest form of analog that there is. Um, now, that being said, there's not a lot of variance to the end listener unless he's super with the best system ever right. to know it was a And his ears file. are in good shape. He, has, he good hasn't shape. blown them out from playing music all yeah, exactly. the time. Exactly. <laughs> or recording for 20 years, you know, yeah. uh, being an engineer or producer. Um, you might not know the difference between a digital digital to analog transfer, um, but it is there. It is. It, it's just a warmer signal, um, and I think that's beyond all the nuts and bolts. Um, to me, at least, I think of musical music is a very personal, spiritual thing. And so, yeah. when I talk to people, it's more of a warm. Uh, digital is known as kind of this icy, cold, perfect. Yes. yes. Music's not perfect. Uh, people aren't perfect. So it shouldn't be the thing that they listen to shouldn't be perfect either. So a record's not perfect in any means. Um, and that's, I think, what makes it so special. Yeah. Now, we could get off on another tack, tack here, but I mean, I, I struggle sometimes with certain records, producers that try and make it absolutely perfect. And there's 10 million layers and everything. It, to me, it, it becomes cold. It sure. becomes manufactured i guess but right. that, that's a discussion for another day yeah the, they make it like mcdonald's right it's just a, everything's easy and fast right it just kind of comes out yeah all right i'm in a record store okay and i see a sticker on it that says 180 gram yeah what does that really mean sure so the gram weight on a 12 inch record um it could be as low as and this doesn't happen to, in today but it could be as low as about 100 110 grams those are, if you go to a garage sale and pick up an old one from the 70s and you could feel it's kind of flimsy, Yeah, that's usually about 100, 110 grams, something like that. That was when they were manufacturing millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of records uh, every year. And so they were saving down on, on PVC costs. Ah. So they're just making them real thin. Uh, but they warp easy. 
Yeah, my so, Harry Nielsen album is that way. It's just there like, you go, just like a little, little flimby. Uh, and so now, um, typically you won't find a manufacturer that makes them under 125 or so, which is still pretty thick. We do 140 as our standard, which is pretty heavy. 140 to 150, it's always a 10-gram variance. Um, so 140, 150 is our, our, ours, and then 180 is what's known as audiophile, which just means it's thicker, um, so it's a heavier platter. So it's less warping. Um, primarily, and it, it's not it's not going to be scratched up as easy by the needle when it's played. So, um, but, from but a, from, sonically, it's yeah. the grooves are the same, the mastering is the same, the plates that go on the press are the same. Um, it's just the weight of the record is, is heavier, so it's it's a little stronger, and it and it feels more valuable, right? When you pick up something that's kind of light, pick up something that's heavy. Yeah, right. Uh, so in a record store, uh, somebody's going to throw down twenty, thirty dollars for a record. They might be, mm, I don't know if this is worth it. It feels kind of light. They pick up a 180-gram record in the packaging. feels more substantial. It might help, help pull them across the line, right. which is always the idea. How do you get it? How do you get to the people that matter? They need to listen to it. They need to come to concerts. Right. Um, and so you can't do that if they're not going to pick it up off the shelf. Yeah. Um, so here you are in Dallas. Uh, and and we're, 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 the industry is very cooperative. Yep. But how many other players are there in Texas from a record ma- vinyl manufacturing perspective? Yeah, so it's interesting. There's There was A&R records for uh, almost 40 years, I think. Um, and then they got bought out, uh, purchased, and machines got moved um, by some guys uh, named in Josie, Josie Records, which is a record store. Um, and I have not heard anything in about the last year. I'm not sure if they're still open or not. I'm not really sure what's happening at all. Um, but if they are open, then there's two of us in Texas. If they're not open, we're the only one. Um, oh, and, wow. And if we are the only one, the only one near us is Nashville. So it's Nashville, us. There's nobody in Oklahoma. There's nobody in uh, Arkansas, um, Mississippi. There's nobody in New, New Mexico, Arizona. So... So again, what's beautiful, going back to Five Weight Park in the 1930s, it looks like uh, Dallas could be kind of a, a central manufacturing slash distribution center for vinyl records. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, what's great through partnerships, we solidified being able to be in this really large complex, which has a really sophisticated way of shipping and receiving all the hand, hand assembly work. Um, printing packaging. So we get to be this small company inside this kind of big machine, which is amazing, which just allows us to be really fast, deliver really quick. Um, and yeah, be a, be, a, be a much larger player than you could imagine uh, for the, the footprint that we take over. You know, we take over a pretty small footprint for what our, our output is. Like we're talking about the 3,000 records a day. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many you can put out. If you can't touch them all, you can't turn them over, look at them, quality check them, you can't get them to a line to be packed, anything like that. Um, and they're just sitting around for weeks so you can get enough people to move them, it's not going to do anybody any good how fast you are. So the logistics of the whole thing, uh, my business partner is just a genius on logistics. Um, And again, our partners are too. So um, that's just allows us to be really, really fast, which in today with the backlog that everybody's seeing, most plants are four to six months, if not longer. We had a client in just a couple of minutes ago and they waited 12 months for a record. So it's just not sustainable. I mean, if you're an independent artist and you only need 300, 500 records and you make it and you're going to have it streamed for a full year before it comes out, by the time you're ready to sell it, the wave is gone. Um, your fans have moved on. You know, they're ready to record the next thing. So how can you? So then you have to check off. You go, well, I can't even make a record. What's the point? I love it. It sounds cool. 
I love it. I wish I could have it. I can go right. buy some reissues. What, what good does that do me? Right. I'm, so, I'm ready to cut my second LP. So I mean, what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So this yeah. just really, um, you know, it just makes a big difference for the small guys. And we come from the small. We are the small guys, right? right? Um, so how do we make it make it matter for ourselves? Like if it's a golden rule, <laughs> right? If it doesn't matter for us, why should it matter for anybody else? So we just want to really keep tight the partnerships that we have in place and just make sure we're delivering on time and give them something something great. Um, and that's 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 what our charge is right now. So a local player comes in wants to cut five hundred, I mean three hundred, five hundred. Yeah. Uh, how soon can you uh, do it? Yeah. So uh, we gang run uh, those small ones all together, and we get them out a lot of times in, in five weeks or under. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Excellent. Yeah, that's fantastic. Hey, uh, I guess step back to the manufacturing side. You were we mentioned earlier that the old presses you've got a recycling rate of uh, goodness could possibly around forty percent. Sure. What we didn't we I don't believe we covered your recycle rate on this new technology. Yeah, yeah. So it's typically one to five percent for us, which is huge, and that's another big part of the speed. We're not and that's to redo just that's my boggling. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Um, and we 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 probably even actually run more than we should, just so that at the end of it. We, we are very, very particular on the quality control. So, again, kind of going back to the th- making that many a day, our technicians have to literally touch every record by hand. We don't just let Every go. record. Every record. So there's a huge spindle of 100-some-odd records. They don't just take it off, put it on the cooling rack, and then ship it, right? Exactly. They don't go and hand, hand assemble it. They literally then have to pick up each record, move them to a new spindle for approved, so they have to touch every record. And so we get really, really particular, um, the shape, the size, uh, the, every, anything you can imagine on that. But then even any little pock marks or anything crazy that might interfere with sound or the visuals of the record. Fantastic. Um, how many, uh, what are some of the artists, you took me back there and, and showed me the boxes of uh, LPs getting ready to be shipped. Uh, take me through some of the artists that are, are in boxes right now back in the warehouse. Oh man, you would hit me with that. I'm so bad at name dropping. It's, it's, it's sad. Um, but yeah, we've done, uh, who is going right now? I think there are a lot of Nashville jobs up right now. Um, but yeah, we do things for, I think we're doing one for Cody Jinx, which is on the press right now. We're doing with the FM Attack. Uh, we just finished the Texas Gentleman. Um, we did one for Daryl Dodd. Uh, we did the Robert Earl Keen, uh, his really famous number two live at Diner, uh, which is just an awesome record to do. We got to do a custom yeah, it's color. The yeah, so good. Um, yeah, we uh, you the made, Vandaliers. You, mentioned- you were mentioning the Vandaliers. We yeah. finished that. We did Jaffe, the Toadies, uh, Sarah Jaffe, uh, the Toadies, which are doing killer right now with the new record. Um, Jaffe is as well. Um, so yeah, we uh, we do a lot of work for Dreamy Life Records out of Fort Worth. Huh. Uh, Siberian Traps, um, Oil Boom. We just finished, which those guys are incredible. Uh, trying to think, uh, stepping out re- from regional. I mean, you mentioned yeah. a really cool uh, Richard Thompson. Uh, yeah, three yeah. LP piece. Yeah, so that was a triple LP, which is really fun, and a triple gatefold. But uh, yeah, talking about one eighty gram in a triple gatefold, it's like a picking up a, a cake. I mean, the thing is so heavy. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, and you could barely fit very many in a shipping box or something. They had to go over. He's from the UK, so they had to go over the world, you know. Um, but yeah, that was a really cool. It was a rarities album, so it was a rarities uh, B sides uh, and acoustic versions of some of his biggest ones. Um, but yeah, we we've done some stuff for uh, yeah Joan Osborne. Um, I think uh, local, uh, you did uh, Charlie Crockett, right? Yeah, Charlie Crockett. Yeah, that's and right. And a band that I saw down at uh, the ACL Fest uh, was the Band of Heathens. Oh yeah, that record's in. And we I've those got guys that are one doing. Yeah, those guys are doing so well. The um, 
We've already repressed it. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. We repressed it a couple weeks ago. Uh, so they already sold out of it in the first few months and had to redo it, um, which is great because they're, I mean, they're amazing. Um, oh, they they, they were, re- I really loved them at ACL. They they put on a great show. Man, they had great chemistry on stage. Yeah, and so Gordy, uh, Gordy Quist, which is the producer and the guitarist in that band, he does a lot of projects with a lot of other great Austin bands in some oh. our way. Uh, so Lola and the Huntsman, uh, which actually... Our members of the Band of Heathens back her, and she's the backup singer sometimes for the Band of Heathens. So they do a lot of community stuff. Uh, the Texas Gentlemen I mentioned, they have a lot of spiders that they go, you know, have multiple uh, really awesome guys that, that play in that band. But then the the ripple effect is the guys that record at Modern Electric, um, even including one of our artists, Silas Nello. Um, you know, there's just it's it's kind of crazy when you see behind the scenes the people that are doing things very you know really special things are really kind of almost always connected to somebody else. So you're only as good as your name. Yeah. Um, so that's why we take so seriously what we do on every front. Because on the label front, yeah, we put on lots of South by Southwest deals every year. Um, you know, we do lots of, uh, we do a big cancer benefit called Cancer Jam every year. And yeah, we, I saw that written up on your website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we just try to incorporate in every step, whether it's making vinyl records or it's doing live events or whatever, just on every every front, just trying to tie tie in as much as possible. So, what's your take on the North Texas music scene? Let's step away a little bit from hand drawn records. What do you? Where is North Texas now in the in the music world? I think there uh, North Texas is, is especially here in in, in Dallas Fort Worth uh, Denton. Uh, what we hear all the time uh, from people in Nashville and even people in Austin is what is going on in Dallas Fort Worth all the time. Um, there's just something special that's been happening the last couple of years and it's just snowballing. Uh, the more venues are opening up, venues are actually paying the artists. So the artists want to play more. Um, and then the community side, there's a lot of, I was kind of mentioning earlier, band of heathens and gents, but you know, you'll find really great artists and they're really kind of performing under different names, performing with one another. And I'm seeing that more and more and more as a theme. Uh, the communities are just getting closer and closer and it's been awesome. I mean, you have, you know, you have the Granada Theater, you have the Kessler Theater, yeah. um, down in Fort Worth, you have Lola's, which has just been awesome for years and years. Um, you have a new bar down in Fort Worth called Mass Main It at Southside, which has been doing some pretty awesome stuff as well, owned by, I think, like 15 different local musicians, <laughs> but it's a legit venue. I love uh, it. They all pulled their money together, you know. Um, so just some special stuff happening that, that, that hasn't been going on. You you mentioned something that the venues are paying the artists, right? You indicate so that's changed over the last two three years. Yeah, it seems it seems to be um, the last uh, the last few years. Um, I don't know if guarantees have gone up or the kind of the infrastructure that you know the managers and the booking agents are maybe demanding a little bit more on the behalf of the artists. But yeah, it's been getting a lot better. Um, I think what's hard is any new band. Uh, they just have to take their lumps, and it doesn't matter what area they're in, right? They're going to have to come at it at a different point of view than some of the bands have been doing it for a while. But the bands have been doing it for a while, and they have set themselves up for success for whatever reason, um, or are seeing some real success, and, there's, and the fans will turn out, you know? Absolutely. So you're also, as you mentioned, you're on the production side of the house. Yeah. You want to uh, give us kind of a review of some of the artists you're working with on that side of the house? Yeah, yeah. So um, we we have uh, oh, now I have to try to think of the artists on our label. Man, I'm, I'm t- even bad name dropping on that. But uh, so we have uh, Cutthroat Finches, um, Henry the Archer, Silas Nello, Un Shin, 
Um, and all and, and the three of those I mentioned are, are brand new uh, to the label. Uh, we have Brandon Callies down in Austin. Also has a Brandon Callies in the American Revival. And then another offshoot called The Screaming Thieves. Uh, Andrew Tinker. Um, and all these guys are just, and then my band just kind of stays on the backlog, but reissue stuff, um, Exit 380. Uh, and I have a solo project called WA Fight as well. Um, but all those uh, are in different stages of either recording, producing, being on the road, um, playing local, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and then we have three new artists. Um, we just signed on a pretty pretty big distribution deal for the label. Uh, so we have three new artists that we're bringing on the last half of this year, and we'll start talking about it in early spring. Um, and then I think we're going to take on a few more in spring too. So we'll probably jump from seven to probably under 20. We'll try to keep it under 20 um, through next year. Um, but yeah, so the label side's growing, uh, pretty exponentially. Um, and we're working with a lot of great studios around here, um, that we try to kind of partner with over and over again. So, right. yeah. So, uh, fine. Let's look at it from a financial perspective. I mean, sure. you, you guys have invested a lot and you've got some uh, backers that have helped you a bunch. Let's say you stay, you stay in a similar structure that you are right now. Yep. How soon do you think you'll break even with your investment to date? Yeah, um, I think uh, we're probably, uh, you know, if this year counts, we're probably another couple of years away, okay. um, which for any business, if you can do that in three years, is pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah, so we're really excited about that. Um, we've got a lot of sales to do, <laughs> a lot of great product to do. Don't want to get ahead of it, right? Just right now, our focus um, is just maintaining great relationships, building those relationships. And all of it goes uh, goes south quick if we start just putting out stuff quickly and we don't really, right. again, hand touch each time and right. and really watch that quality. So, you know, us as owners and our technicians and, and everybody that works with us and our sales guys, everybody's just really tuned into that fact that we're going to get it right first. Um, all the things after that will follow. So predicting the future can be a challenge, but where do you see, see yourselves uh, in three years at hand-drawn records? Sure. Um, so hopefully, um, you know, the distribution side kind of helps us take on a whole new angle. Uh, we've been a regional label for a long time, uh, for the last, uh, almost coming on seven years, uh, pretty soon in the spring of next year. Um, so it'll allow us to really break out of that and uh, do a lot more stuff throughout uh, the U.S. And then we'll see what happens, uh, you know, with Europe and all that. But uh, really, yeah, I just want to really see the artist side grow, uh, really build that community side. I mean, my vision is, of course, um, going to be on the very sunny side of things, on the creative side. So I'm like, yeah, guys, let's go and we can make it happen. Um, and I think, uh, you know, all the lights are green right now. So uh, what do you say? You, you got to make hay when the sun shines. Absolutely. So we are making hay when the sun shines, and we'll try to keep the sun shining as much as possible. Well, being a musician, I, I hope you're not putting your instrument totally to the side. You're still fiddling some, I hope, aren't you? Yeah, so we have a little cool studio here um, in the facility. And, uh, yeah, last week I, I noodled around for a couple hours with, with my good friend that actually you know runs the place, so he runs the packaging side of it. Uh, we got to play for a couple hours, so it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I'm a better singer than I'm a player. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I never stop singing, right? So Good. Uh, I perform a lot at our church. I live in Granbury, Texas, so that's about an hour and a half from here. Um, and they let the, the church that we go to uh, lets me get up on, and sing quite a bit, praise and worship stuff. 
uh, and I love it. I never had found praise and worship music to about a year ago. Huh. Um, so a lot of fun for a lot of doing it for the right reasons. Right. You know? right. Uh, it's kind of amazing how that flips in your head. I was always, even when I thought I was doing it for the right reasons as an independent musician, I would say, you know, I'm doing it for my, you know, oh, it's for the greater good. But the reality is I was doing it for myself, right? Um, and so to kind of break through and, and do it for, for uh, you know, the church and, and, and God's people has been, been a, lot of, a lot of fun. Excellent. Yeah. I love it. Well, I know that uh, you've been getting some texts and people are looking through the window every once in a while saying, yeah. what, are you, what are you doing? You, you have any closing comments for us? Uh, sure, sure. I just want to say, you know, thanks for taking interest in us. And, uh, and I'm glad I got to fit, uh, sit in. Uh, for for Muddy, cool. <laughs> absolutely. I might talk a little bit more than he does, you know. You, you do, you uh, do. <laughs> which is just fine. Yeah, just fine. Uh, it's not just a one way conversation, right? That's right. Um, but yeah, I just want to say, you know, thanks and, and and everybody that's been working with us these last few years. Thanks for helping us grow, and uh, we continue to hopefully uh, make you proud. And uh, what I'd love to do is stay in contact with you. So hopefully sure. we'll be back, Dustin, in a few months down the road and see how things have progressed. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Thank buddy. you. Have a great day. Hey, you as well. Thanks, Dogger. Bye. Bye. For ongoing updates, follow Dogger and Muddy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Till next time. Adios. Speak punches underwater, drifting in the open sea. Or is this a dream? Can I see or believe to trust this to falter and to taste to receive? Is this a dream? I won't hurt.